Welcome to The Weather Pod, the podcast about the growing importance of weather information to business and society. I'm Alan Thorpe. I'm a former Director General of the European Centre for Medium Range Weather Forecasts, a former head of the UK Met Office's Hadley Centre, and a Professor of Meteorology. And I'm David Rogers. I'm a former Chief Executive of the UK Met Office and am now a consultant with the World Bank, helping countries improve their weather-related disaster management systems and services. Weather information is a critical international resource for saving lives, making business and society more efficient, and building resilience to extreme weather and climate change. In each episode, we invite a leading expert to discuss how public, private and academic sectors work together to produce weather information and make it available to business and society. We also investigate how weather-affected public and private enterprises actually use it and the new business opportunities being created. And because extreme weather often impacts the poorest the hardest, we'll look beyond the rich countries to the less developed ones, which host most of the world's population. Over the past two decades, great efforts have been made to create an economic framework for the provision of meteorological services. The main aim has been to build a case to sustain or increase public investment in these services and so reduce the loss of life and property due to severe weather. Alongside this, the global weather enterprise has grown to meet increased demand for weather-related information to assist day-to-day business decision-making and to help develop and apply new technologies. Now, though, extreme weather is not the only challenge we face. We must also adapt to and mitigate the threat of imminent climate change. As a result, the demand for weather information to help decarbonize society and to make it more resilient can only increase. In this episode of The Weather Pod, we explore the economics of weather information, the increasing sensitivity of business and society to the weather, and the evolving roles of the public, private and academic sectors in the global weather enterprise. Our guest today is Thomas Fry. Thomas is the CEO of Research and Consulting in Zurich. Prior to that, he was with the Federal Office of Meteorology and Climatology in the Swiss Federal Department of Home Affairs. Thomas, welcome to the WeatherPod. Yes, welcome. It's great to welcome you to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thomas, uh, today's discussion focuses mostly on the economic value of meteorological services. We often hear that the benefit to cost of national meteorological services can be anything from 2 to 1 to 40 to 1, or even higher in the case of health applications. Could we start by trying to understand why the range is so large? Well, in fact, the results of these studies reveal quite a range, and this is explained by different factors. First, it depends whether the studies are done in developed countries, there we have a lower ratio, or whether the studies are done in developing countries where we have a higher ratio because in developing countries, the impact of severe weather is much stronger due to the vulnerability of the infrastructure. Secondly, it depends also on the chosen methodology. There are studies with the decision-making model, what we have chosen, where you try to identify costs and benefits of weather and climate information. But there are also studies with completely different models like willingness to pay, where you ask people in surveys about their willingness to pay for weather and climate information and where you get very different results. 
So to kind of follow up on that a bit, so do you think that the the idea with willingness to pay is a useful approach, or, or what, what's your view on, on, on that particular methodology? Honestly, I'm not so convinced with this willingness to pay approach because this depends so much on the people you are choosing. And it depends as well on how how big the the crowd is of the people you can you can interview you can make the surveys and um, I have studied quite a lot of different of such um, results of willingness to pay and um, models and honestly I am not that convinced of these results. This might give a first overview, but then I guess you have to go into details with different methodologies. So, Thomas, in, in 2010 and, and later, you and colleagues uh, together conducted a series of studies to assess the economic benefit of meteorological and hydrological services in the transport sector in Switzerland. I think you, you highlighted there the importance of the decision-making process to evaluate monetary benefits. I wondered if you could start by elaborating a bit on this methodology and, and how you carried out the study? Yes. Well, we did um, firstly an extensive evaluation with different economists from consulting companies and also from the academics from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in, in Zurich to identify what kind of approach um, will be best um, for our question. And the economists' view on our research topic was quite clear that the decision-making model would be the appropriate choice. And yes, the results of our studies confirm, um, I guess, that this was the correct approach. And basically, what what you do with this um, decision-making model is you identify key persons key institutions that use meteorological or climatological information for their business. In our case, this was the transport business. And the really challenging part is identifying this person, get in contact with this person, and then make the interview with them and ask them in detail how they use the meteorological information and how in detail provide them the benefit in their daily business. And you can imagine this is quite a lot of work on the one hand in the preparation of the interviews with the people, but it means also it's quite challenging for those people really might make their business case transparent and telling you in detail how they calculate and where the benefit of meteorological and climatological information is directly in their business. And then the challenge to quantify that, what that means at the end of the days in, in hard money. So this is basically the, the approach we have chosen. So when you use the phrase decision-making model, it, it's you're asking people specifically in the decisions they're making exactly how much value monetary value they put on the meteorological uh, information that they're using. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. And it goes in, in two in two directions. The one thing is you you discuss and you ask um, the people in studying their um, 
business model in, in the transport sector where they gain something with metrological information in their business or where they can, can prevent a lose of money in, in their business because they have this information available. And um, give you a few examples. We studied this, for example, with, with the air traffic management. There it's, it's quite, quite known, the benefit um, of nectar or of tough information. But we studied that also with, um, with bus um, traffic organization in Switzerland, in the, in the public transport uh, sector, um, where they showed us in, in the winter time where they need the metrological information for exactly preparing um, the streets at the right time that they are available for people. And there you can calculate in very um, detail how money um, you can save when the streets um, are available or when the streets are not available. And then certain companies really have um, problems because people are not at the right time at the right place. So, so did you um, have to help, in a sense, help the correspondents you talked to, to, to talk them through how they would evaluate the monetary value? Or do you think, or did they have some of these figures to hand or, or you know, was it, was it a straightforward and easy process? No, it, it, was, it wasn't a straightforward um, process at all because it was actually new for, for ourselves at those times when, when I um, worked at the Met office, it was a new idea for, for the metrologist side, but it was also new for the economists because they haven't done this kind of, of um, studies before. And it was, of course, also new for the most important people, namely for the decision maker, really to think about um, costs and benefits of this information. So um, it wasn't easy at all. And it, it was quite challenging to convince the people, the, the key people, the decision maker, um, to, to participate in, in that studies. What, what kind of cost-benefit did you come up with from those studies? Yes, I, I am, as I said, it, it depends also um, quite a lot in, in which kind of economic sector you did this analyse um, analysis. What we saw in generally was, was um, a, a benefit ratio of 1 to 2 to 1 to 5. I mean, that's good, I guess. Yeah, that went very good. Um, the study is particularly interesting uh, in the context of what we are calling the, the new economy, the, the economy driven by the need to decarbonize societies. As renewable energy sources become large fractions of the total energy supply, the sensitivity of the economy to the variability of the weather increases, a fact that's actually already apparent uh, here in Europe. I'd be very interested in your opinion about how the decision-making model that you've just uh, described can can be applied to the renewable energy sector. Indeed, my impression is that the decision-making model would also get valuable information in the renewable energy sector. I'm absolutely convinced of that. The main challenge will will also there be to identify the, the key persons, key organizations, and actually to convince them to participate in a decision-making model, 
with, with all what is necessary, interviews, proofreading, preparation um, of the interview and all that. That would be the, the challenging part, but I'm convinced um, this would give very interesting results. It seems like one of the difficulties, it's probably not unique to the energy sector, but um, I mean, we've heard from others that trying to get the energy sector to share information is a real challenge. Uh, it must not have been that easy either in the transport sector, particularly with airlines and so forth. I mean, is there a way of kind of really hooking them in, into into exploring uh, this particular approach? Well, of course, the challenging point is that um, that the partners you are working together with must must reveal actually their their business model, and it is clear. Um, a lot of companies are not willing and are not able actually to, to reveal all their secrets about their business case. So the challenge would be you must find a way how you, 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 you want to collaborate with them. And the, the question is then, what are you going to do with the results? Because the results might be a basis for an even better business case or business model. So there you have to identify how can this um, collaboration be. And of course, also you have to think about, are you going to do this just with one company? Then you have the problem with the other companies, competition between them. These are all questions you really have to think in advance how you want to deal with that. Then is there actually, do you think there's a, a generic approach for the sector that where you can make certain certain assumptions and and at least come I mean one of the interests is to find out to what extent do we need to improve our, our weather information for these sectors and or on and, and the uptake of, of weather information so do you think there is a sort of a more um, uh, not not you know not specific to a particular company, but more to the the overall sector, where the, where you could actually learn enough to be able to have a pretty good idea of what's needed. Yeah, that's a good point. What I suggest or what I can imagine is that you start with a generic model and not with specific companies or so, but more from the public side. So you can imagine um, a decision making model for let's say for a whole region or even for a whole country in asking what might all be the benefit for this country. And if you have first um, result there about a, a possible cost benefit ratio, then in a second step, it might be interesting to go um, more in detail in, in really the energy sector um, at the end with even uh, specific companies. But firstly, I would, I would I would say that it is better to start with a generic model and on the very on the very public side and not on the private side. You're listening to Weatherpod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. Thomas, I'd like us to move to uh, uh, another aspect of this. Uh, David and I have have been thinking quite a lot about the the meteorological the weather value chain and in particular about uh, creating value um, with weather and climate information. And the World Bank um, publication uh, called The Power of Partnership looked quite in detail in several countries about the value chain. And they one aspect of the value chain 
that they talk about in that report is called business data integration. Um, actually, David and I sort of prefer the term integrated services. And this is where meteorological information is, is combined with data from other factors uh, that might feed into the decision-making process that, that a company or a, a business might might need to, to make. So it, the meteorological factor, the meteorological information is just one source where there are several others. And I, I wondered, could you comment on how, in that case, we, we would go about benef- evaluating the benefit um, of, of these integrated services? Um, and, of course, we're getting into the realm where it's very much more than just a tailored meteorological service, but where we have to consider other economic information that's relevant to the particular business or, or application area. I wonder if you had any thoughts on that. Yes, this is, to my understanding, um, a very important point because integrated services generate an even bigger benefit to the user or customer than just meteorological or climatological information. That is what we have seen in our study when we, when we really... Um, studied the the business case in detail. The benefit of such tools and the corresponding services can also be analyzed um, with a decision-making model because then you really have to not just to to understand um, the benefit of meteorological services, but really the benefit of the integrated services. And this is absolutely fair. We have also done that in a very preliminary way. Again, there, the challenge will be to identify really the key person and to convince them um, for collaboration. And of course, it is even a little bit more challenging because you need um, in your team economists that understand the metrological part as well as really the business case you are studying in detail. I mean, we, we, we sort of have a feeling... I guess, at the back of our minds that if we think about the whole global weather enterprise, we, we often uh, imagine the, the huge benefits when people's lives are at risk and, and, you know, from big extreme events. But, of course, many uh, industries, many businesses are just sensitive to, if you like, ordinary weather. It's just one of the factors in that they have to take into account when they're developing their products or, or, or producing their um, their services for the end customer. So it it's even though these are not necessarily extreme events, they're obviously much more common. And therefore, if you integrated all of these uh, inputs of weather information, it could add up to a really big impact in the in the new economy. I don't would would you agree with that or do you think that's being somewhat over-optimistic. No, no, I, I agree completely with that. And I, I'm convinced of that, that um, this will be the future. Until now, we just have the problem um, because there are limitations by ICT technology really to deal with such big um, data. But with this new approaches now with artificial intelligence, big data analysis and things like that, I am convinced this will absolutely be the future that we are ready, we have the tools, the 
ICT infrastructure really to deal with big data. And that means nothing else than with big data analysis, we can combine meteorological and economical information and generate there actually new integrated services that generate, as I already um, elaborated, even a bigger benefit to customers or also to society um, on the public side. Thomas, it's, it's been suggested that the public and private sector meteorological services play complementary roles in the new economy, with their roles divided between commercial applications and public safety and security. How easy is it to keep track of the overall economic contribution of each sector? My impression is that the, the, this division in the new economy between commercial application and public services in the safety and security is a difficult one. Of course, the division is very clear and is very logical. However, the reality to my understanding is pretty different. Especially here in Europe, I see two main problems. On the one hand, it is obvious that also the private med services deal with safety and security services. On the other hand, you have also several public med services that provide certain commercial um, activities. So to keep the economic contribution of each sector on track, we need different guidelines like a clear legal framework for public services or also institutional platforms for regular exchange between private and public med services to discuss and formalize their roles and their contributions. Finally, more willingness for cooperation instead of competition between all the involved um, parties is needed. If I could follow up uh, on that a little bit, uh, Thomas, I mean, one, one, of the, one of the aspects which I, I feel quite strongly about is that the the national meteorological services the public sector side um they they because they are producing some of the basic meteorological data that are being used by the commercial companies they they actually should uh, benefit uh, from the fact that their data is being used widely across the economy even though they themselves are not using the data in that way and government should realise that that actually the Met services uh, have this tremendous gearing because uh, the commercial companies that actually use the Met information uh, are really uh, providing uh, a lot of uh, stimulus to the economy. Do you, do you think again? Do you would you would you agree with that kind of that kind of uh, analysis? Yes, I agree with that, and I guess um, as you said, it's very important that really the public med services are provided from the government with enough money to provide all their data in an open data strategy to the whole economy. And if this is the case, the best thing that can happen afterwards is when the economy also involving private med services who are using this meteorological data and who are at the end of the day building up their whole business case on this 
um, open data, if they are then via the parliament, via the government are saying, and um, this is only possible due to the fact that all these um, meteorological data are provided freely and open by the government. And this feedback loop is, to my understanding, absolutely crucial. And this feedback loop is, in most of the cases, missing. And I had several discussions here in Switzerland with, um, with member of the parliament, member of the government, where I see this as the major problem. And this is a problem that, um, at the end of the day, it is not happen until now that the med services really could enforce this feedback loop that government and parliament realize the benefit of the data that are provided for a stimulus for the economy and if this is realized and if this feedback loop is functioning then we do not have afterwards all this problem with uh, med services in in having too less um, financial resources available, if this is understood by the whole people. And at the end of the day, this is kind of an educational process. You have to educate the people that they understand this feedback loop. Do you have any, I mean, you just said you, you were discussing this with uh, parliamentarians. Did you, did you get a response that could help actually delve into this problem and to, to really extract the, the kind of information we need to make this kind of case? Well, my my feeling is and my understanding is when I talk to to people on different um, level in the in the government that they absolutely have no idea how really um, this benefit by meteorological and climatological data to to the economy is is functioning. So it is really hard to convince them and to make them understand how this works and there i guess um also from the public med services this is a problem that they do not realize how important actually this kind of convincing work as i say really is and there is no doubt the people generally people um, from the government are are not understanding that from the first side you really need time to convince them and to make them uh, stuff clear. You're listening to WeatherPod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. It kind of occurred to me that your decision-making model may be the way to do this, that you can, if you look across the entire um, service delivery of meteorological information, public and private, and look at how a particular business operates um, in the private sector and to understand how it's utilizing information from the public sector might be actually be a, a way of quantifying uh, th this uh, interaction. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, all what has been done until now is just a very preliminary and survey and, and research because we have we just had a look at very um, detail of, of let's say the transport sector or let's say the agriculture sector but we do not have any idea at all of the overall picture and I'm convinced that if we would have a, um, an idea of the overall picture the ratio would be much higher also in the developed countries but we do not have 
this picture at all. And it is, of course, and this is another problem. We need quite a lot of money, resources, really for doing um, this research. And that might be another um, link to the academic sector. We are going to talk a little bit later um, where the academic sector may play really a crucial role to, to help and to make this data available. Yes, Thomas, you, you mentioned the academic sector and uh, you uh, you recently published a very interesting paper on on the role of the academic sector in the global weather enterprise, and in particular the role of of public private engagement. I wonder if you could elaborate on on how you see academia sort of fostering the meteorological and hydrological value chains. My paper explains the important role and, and contributions of the academics in, in fostering the meteorological value change. Since the necessary research and implementation of new services is mainly done by universities and their spin-offs. So the know-how from the academics and from their spin-offs in new fields like artificial intelligence, uh, big data analysis or Internet of the Things will generate new integrated services with an enormous potential of the economic um, benefit that I'm absolutely convinced of. Of course, the often certainly true in, in the United Kingdom that the academic sector that are working on those areas, as you say, quite, quite strongly, are also working with the Met Office, with the National Meteorological Service, um, who are also interested in in that? So there's a there's a very nice uh, collaborative uh, program um, to be able to bring those two research programs together. Absolutely, that's also my impression. I guess the same is true in Switzerland and other countries as well. There, it might be that additional to this interaction between academics and um, med services, public med services, that. Um, what we have talked until now that probably the economist side would also nice be integrated and go in the direction of um, really exploring economic benefit to, to the society. I guess that would be the, the combination of, of the know-how that is necessary. You've made some very positive um, comments there. I, I guess, can I push you on what are the obstacles at the moment, do you think, in um, in enabling academia to play play its role? Well, I mean, on the obstacle side, I see certain problems and um, I, I don't know the whole situation in Europe, but at least in Switzerland, um, I see that the academics have kind of similar problem um, as the med services that um, the budget is cutted and that they are obliged to find new business models, new business cases in terms of um, searching for sponsors and things like that. And there I see a certain obstacle, certain problems, because what we need, what we have talked um, so far is really basic research that not just generate the benefit for a, for a certain company or for a certain organization. And there I see certain problems. I guess the universities, the academics need also like the, the public uh, med service, a certain amount of money 
um, where they really can um, decide themselves and doing basic research and not research that is oriented directly um, to a certain customer. We, D- David and I have, have talked quite a lot with um, meteorologists uh, around the world, but particularly in developing countries. And it, it seems there that um, not only the National Meteorological Services, but also the academic sector uh, in those countries is in need of investment. Um, so that there can be this virtuous sort of uh, circle of research combination between the, the two, academia and the National Met Service, to develop, you know, the weather infrastructure within within a developed country. Uh, I, I just wondered what your experience was in the developing country uh, scenario and how do you think their um, future investment could be used to to nurture and facilitate that interaction between academia and national met services well i guess um, you're right that probably the situation in the developing country is is even um more difficult than in in the developed countries so the interaction between um national met services and, and academics might even be more more important finally to collaborate together and to generate new services and to generate more more benefit, and I guess in the developing countries, um, especially, um, you have to pay attention then to the role of the private med services. And my overall impression is that whatever we choose, we must find a way that we can um, support more collaboration and less competition, because I guess that um, more competition um, leads at the end of the day um, to to resources that are actually um, not anymore available. And when we can collaborate, we can met the the resources together. So I would say we need in, in the developing countries, even more than in the developed countries, more um, collaboration. Thomas, we've touched on some really interesting topics. And just in in concluding, I'd really be interested in your views on on how you think the public, private and academic sectors are likely to evolve over the next decade to meet these new challenges that we've been talking about. I guess that in the next decade, um, integrated services will evolve with a potential actually we do not imagine today. And the reason for that I see actually in two directions. First, um, artificial intelligence, intelligence, um, Internet of Things, and all these um, kind of new technological tools will connect meteorological information with other data from the economic side, like traffic or agriculture or tourism that will allow to generate completely new services at low costs. And I think that is a crucial point, new services at low costs. Secondly, I guess meteorological um, data as input data for all kinds of new integrated services will become even more available. But it will be essential that public private and academic sector can really organize a fruitful collaboration 
with a open data strategy instead of competition and isolation um, what we have seen in, in some parts and um, so far. So overall, I am quite optimistic that new technology will really provide us with new services. It, it occurs to me, Thomas, that we obviously we've been talking, you've been talking quite a bit about about collaboration and how important that is, and I, I'm sure we we would fully support that. What about collaborating on these sort of topics with economists? I mean, my impression is, and this may be wrong, but my superficial impression is that it's quite difficult to attract, say, academic economists into these sort of issues of of evaluating, you know, the uh, finding the value of of meteorological information to the economy. I don't know, what's your experience? Has it been easy to, to, to find those economists and to work with them? Well, Alan, that's, that's a really good question. No, it's not easy. And I can tell you very frankly what my um, experience was. And I remember quite well when I decided um, to make our first study and when I um, realized that we need an economist from the academics, um, I, I got a, a contact from, from a friend of mine and I, I contacted this, purple, this person and I explained all that and we started to collaborate and after half a year I realized it doesn't work because this, this person is not really willing to understand how metrology really is functioning. And this was the moment when I had to say we have to finish um, our collaboration I need another person from another university. And in fact, this was quite a difficult um, challenge to, to identify and to find um, this right person. But on the other hand, there is no other option. There is no other way. You, you must uh, find a way to, to, to get to the right people, to the right economists. And this might um, involve just a certain time, just a certain network also of people um, you are knowing, you are, you are in, in contact, really to, to willing to collaborate. And at the end of the day, it's also the problem that these economists must also see a way for themselves, for their business as well, um, what this means for themselves in, in terms of academics, in terms of publishing papers, things like that. Also, you have to pay attention to that. But I'm convinced it is possible but it is challenging. Are they there? Are there are there economists out there that you know, or or, um, or, in, or schools of uh, economy that are really ready to do this, or is this really going to be a major problem for us? I, I just can say that um, when I did um, these different studies, I, I really had a good contact um, at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. They have a, a special um, economist um, sector. And they are very well now because they they are doing also all these and um, forecasts for the government for the economic um, situation in Switzerland. They are very uh, well known, um, and I guess it was of course it was at that time necessary to identify the right person and supporting us. But we succeed finally at the end of the day in doing that. And I guess for example in Switzerland this is an institution. Um, where we have the, the right know-how at, at position. And I guess in other countries, this might also be the place, but 
you have to identify that and that takes a certain time and a certain energy that's that's out of question thomas thank you so much for this great conversation and for joining us today yeah thanks very much thomas it's been great to have you on the show it's been a pleasure to join you both thank you well that concludes this episode of the weather pod we hope you've enjoyed it Alan and I will be back next month. And in the meantime, please give us your feedback via email to support at gweforum.org.